0: Transmitting from the Mojave Wilderness in Joshua Tree, California. Now is the time for Desert Oracle Radio, the voice of the desert. Night has fallen on the Mojave, a relatively cool night tonight. Thanks to some mild late spring weather we very much appreciate. School is out up here in the high desert. Congratulations to the kids and condolences to all the parents. But it is not summer until the solstice and that's another two weeks out yet. And then we shall get into the hot stuff. A bittersweet time of year, as always, sweet because the tourists are mostly gone, their money is mostly still here, and you can get a drink at the saloon without advance reservations. But it's a little bitter because it does compress the day somewhat. Your walks and your hikes and your bicycle rides, well, they will be closely timed to sunrise and sunset. You will watch that humidity level as well, because when the monsoon weather comes around, the previously comfortable in the shade 105 degrees becomes a sauna with no exit june 21 is the solstice our blessed summer solstice now some people love that blistering summer heat rabbit pit bulls and englishmen 20 generations back etc but what i love most about the solstice is that the days start getting shorter which i find cheerful even as the days get progressively hotter, clocking down to the fall, the beginning of the three seasons of high desert perfection. Summer does have its charms, of course. You can get up into the high Sierra with those sparkling blue rivers and creeks and lakes. Where the nights dip down into the thirties. And the Stellar's J demands you wake up and make him breakfast. And of course on a summer night you can watch the giant scorpions skitter across the patio. And it's great. Or summer night swimming parties. If your neighbor up the road with the swimming pool is out of town. It's nice to see all the European visitors too. They like it hot. Plus they've got that month-long vacation in the summer. Imagine living in a civilized country with a required month-long vacation. Minimum. The Germans especially love our western deserts when it's good and hot, like in the movies. Like it looks like in the movies, at least. When the mirages are shimmering on the highways. And the dust devils are miles high, twisting and dancing across the dry lakes. The ravens sure seem to enjoy the hot weather. They enjoy all the desert weather, don't they? You never see a raven complaining about the weather. Oh, they'll complain mostly about you existing in their royal presence, but whether it's below freezing or 112 degrees, the ravens are soaring around... Or sitting in meditation on a fence post or a Joshua tree or the edge of the dumpster behind the Circle K. They seem content. Seemingly content is what I mean. They seem to lack a lot of our problems. Eat when they're hungry, drink when they're dry. Relax and watch the sunrise, do daredevil flights around the granite outcrops with friends and family. And now and then get together for the raven festivals, the raven parties. Have you seen these raven conventions? Sometimes they're happening right above you, a thousand feet above you. You see it most on hot summer days. Maybe a hundred ravens. Sometimes you need the field glasses because they're just black flecks against the blue sky. Soaring and diving, a whirlwind of corvids so far up in the air you can't hear them. Or maybe you hear the occasional distant burst of happy cawing. They must come from ten miles around, a parliament of ravens. It must be cooler up there, too. What fantastic animals. In moderation, of course, like everything. Remember, every time you don't put the lid on the garbage can or you leave a bunch of old french fries and hamburger wrappers and tortilla chips sitting around? Well, that pushes up the raven population. They do just fine on a natural desert diet, and it keeps their numbers in check. But give them a landfill full of pizza crust and rotten watermelon or whatever, a Walmart parking lot full of human garbage. And then they overbreed. And the extras go out looking for more food, more food like baby tortoises out in the wilderness, baby desert tortoises. Well, anyway, it's not really summer yet, but it's already real hot up in Death Valley. Heat alerts are in effect, so says the National Park Service. Be careful. Don't be one of this year's dead, bloated tourist in the desert news stories. You know, Death Valley gets its name from a bunch of ill-equipped, and ill-informed desert travelers. We call them the Death Valley 49ers because back in 1849, a wagon train headed for California's gold country split up and, well, it's worth telling the story. Maybe you half remember it from a talking diorama at the Furnace Creek Visitor Center years ago. Can't hurt to refresh the memory especially going into this time of year people were crossing the great American desert by the thousands in the year 1849 people from Iowa and Illinois and Missouri and Kentucky and Tennessee and Virginia people looking for a better life some hungry for riches Most just hoping for some good productive farmland, or work building the new towns, or a place to set up shop. Selling mining supplies, and blue jeans, and jackass blankets, that kind of thing. But there was no railroad, no real road at all. Those things were yet to come. There was a trail, a hard trail, hard traveling... Because the Latter-day Saints had set up such a fine frontier town there at Salt Lake City, most of the 49ers got it together in Salt Lake. Here they met and hired guides, they purchased provisions, fed and watered their oxen and horses and whatever such animals they had, exchanged gossip and lies and a lot of exaggerated tales about the land of milk and honey, the land of milk and honey that awaited them on the other side on the other side of that great snowy wall called the Sierra Nevada. A group of pioneers led by a Captain Jefferson Hunt set out from Salt Lake in October of that famous year or infamous year depending on Which wagon train was carrying you west, or trying to? October was too late to be attempting this journey, too late to start. Everybody knew about the Donner Party, which had set out the year previous and ended in outrageous horror. Children eating bits of their dead and frozen parents. Just a nightmare played out in real life. Endless days of frozen hell. As it was too late to risk a snowy crossing in the high Sierra, and as these people lacked the patience and the resources to wait out the winter in Deseret, they decided to attempt a southern route along the old spanish trail or one of the old spanish trails as you know by driving around the western deserts out here many highways and byways and back roads claim to run east west on the old spanish trail There were 107 wagons in this train, and the first trouble came when most of the wagons turned off at present-day Enterprise, Utah, following some wild rumor about a shortcut to Walker Pass that would shave 500 miles off. And, well, if you could shave off 500 miles of hard, slow travel, wouldn't you want to give it a try, at least consider it? Most of these wagons turned back upon meeting the first major obstacle, a deep canyon along the present-day Nevada state line. But a stubborn minority, commanding 20 wagons in all, they decided to press onward. That's difficult country even today. They were at Groom Lake, which you will also know as Area 51, and sadly for them, there were no alien abductions, no free rides to California in a Black Triangle spaceship that we know of. Here on Groom Lake, they bickered and they argued, and they finally split up. One party headed toward snow-capped Mount Charleston, outside of today's Las Vegas, hoping to find spring water on the way. A desert blizzard, say both groups actually, dumping enough snow to water their animals and themselves and get them to the next point. Separately, the two paltry remnants of the wagon train took the pass beyond today's Death Valley Junction, and they reached Furnace Creek which was missing the comforts of hotel and golf course and cocktail lounge at the time. And here, more hard choices were made, some of them famously bad. If you want a bedtime story to keep you up at night, maybe before a long drive to Death Valley or across Nevada... I advise you to pick up a good book on the subject, and the gift shops there in Furnace Creek are a good place to look. My favorite is called Escape from Death Valley, and you can find that online as well. It's especially interesting because the survivors tell the story in their own Baroque words. It's easy to say, well, it was dumb of these dumbos to do such a dumb thing, but you'll have more sympathy when you read their tales. Everybody was operating with very little information, very little reliable information. And the fact was that 49ers were always dropping dead on this hard journey somewhere along the way, usually with no fanfare. But because two families remained stranded beneath the Panamint Mountains in that harsh valley for a couple of months and because their ordeal was especially dramatic and the nation was hungry for disaster stories about those headed to California, when they were finally rescued by the returning William Lewis Manley and John Rogers and led through 23 more days of rough going before reaching Rancho San Francisco on the Santa Clarita River north of Los Angeles, Newspaper reporters saw the drama and the tale and it quickly spread up and down the state and back east across the country. While the surviving Jay Hawker group only lost one of their number, legend says they named the place Death Valley as a farewell. Goodbye Death Valley, one of them said, allegedly. Is that even true? Who knows. The name stuck. For English-speaking Americans anyway. The Timbisha Shoshone people had been living in the valley long before the Jayhawkers made their mistaken shortcut. There is no such morbid association with the place amongst the Timbisha. It is simply home. A place of pleasant winters, with abundant spring water, enough bighorn and rabbit and mesquite to eat well, and a rich culture and folklore. Summers would be spent up in the same cool mountains that so vexed the 49ers. Only in 1994 did the National Park Service begin to acknowledge the people who had long lived there, long before the pioneer stories long before the National Monument that would become today's National Park. It was in the year 2000 that the Timbisha were finally granted a sliver of the land that had long been theirs. Thousands of acres of the Tembisha Reservation, 300 acres of which can be found in their village on the valley floor, alongside the tourist resort. Had the 49ers been less ignorant and less threatening, well maybe the local Shoshone would have pointed the way west on the ancient and established trails that go over those daunting mountains. As for Rancho San Francisco, you can visit a historical marker that's said to be near the site of the old Mexican land grants main ranch house on the appropriately named Old Road. Right there where Newhall Ranch crosses the I-5. There's a desolate strip mall across the way with a Subway sandwich franchise. Across the cottonwood filled riverbed is Six Flags Magic Mountain. Now, let's jump a hundred years from 1849 to 1949. You already know what a weird time it was in the deserts, the middle and late 1940s. You know about the Manhattan Project and Windover and White Sands and the Nevada test site. And you probably heard about Roswell, too. Well, here's one that might be new to your ears. And it comes from the front page of the Bakersfield Californian. The issue dated Saturday, August 20, in the weird year of our Lord, 1949. Here's the headline. Two hot miners spot and chase disc pilots. A Grizzled Desert Prospector reported in the town of Mojave that a whizzing disc crashed near Death Valley and that two little men jumped out and disappeared in the sand dunes, the International News Services says. The prospector Buck Fitzgerald, who claims he has lived in the Death Valley region long enough to know a flying disc when he sees one, said that his sidekick, Mays Garney, also witnessed the event. Related Fitzgerald. Quote, The flying disc, which was about 24 feet in diameter, whizzed past me going about 300 miles per hour. It crash-landed and two little men jumped out and started running when they saw us. The men looked human, but they were very small, like dwarfs. We chased them over a sand dune, but lost them. I don't know where they went. The two prospectors allowed that with a temperature of 138 degrees, it was too hot to chase the little men for any great distance. Well... There are suspicions raised in the story, not least in the temperature so casually reported. 138 degrees would be the hottest recorded temperature in the history of Earth. So far. We've got a few minutes left here. Let's open up the Desert Oracle radio mailbag. I'm way behind on this and everything else. I appreciate your patience and I do always appreciate your cards and letters. This one comes from Christopher Kilbowitz. It says, Dear Desert Oracle Radio, I wanted to drop you a line to thank you for your recommendation to visit the Desert Discovery Center in Barstow. You mentioned it on one of the podcasts, and so I planned to stop there on our most recent trip to the Mojave last week. Seeing the old woman meteorite was neat enough and the little display on all the different substances that had been mined out of the desert was good for a few minutes. However, the time spent at the center really came in handy an hour or so later when we arrived at our second location, the Amboy Crater and Mojave Trails National Monument. There we found a nice San Bernardino County Sheriff who told us that the trail was closed, probably for the day. We headed on to our usual spot at Granite Pass to camp, and found out later, in the next day, that the sheriff's deputies had found a body near the crater. Based on the news report, our time at the Desert Discovery Center had delayed us just long enough To not be the ones to make that gruesome discovery. Something that I'm thankful my three-year-old son did not have to experience. Sincerely, Chris. Well, Chris, I'm glad your visit to the Desert Discovery Center saved your three-year-old kid from discovering a dead body. Although, who knows... He could have been the next Stephen King. Well, Maybe instead he'll be the next Dr. Edmund Yeager, our pioneering biologist of the Mojave. You never know with kids. I had not heard about this latest victim of Amboy Crater, but I did look it up. And while details are still very scarce, a week later it turns out another hiker did discover this body the corpse of a 61-year-old man. We don't know anything beyond that right now. Firefighters and ambulance crews went up there, and they found the body right where it was supposed to be. It had not walked away, I mean, which is good overall. And then the sheriff's department sent a chopper over there, picked up the body, Nothing suspicious right now so far, but then again, our local sheriff's department rarely seems to consider anything suspicious about dead bodies in the desert around here. I guess that's good. Positive thinking and all that. The body was found midday on May 30. Not a bad time to be enjoying the museum in Barstow. Not a bad time at all. I hope you enjoyed the rest of your camping trip and from Amboy to Isaac's, and across the great Mojave wilderness, this is Desert Oracle Radio broadcasting on KCDZ 107.7 FM and Joshua Tree in the high desert. Every Friday night at 10 p.m. on your radio and everywhere all the time with your favorite podcast player. You can find all kinds of information at our website, desertoracle.com, including information on the musical tracks you hear on this program by Red, Blue, Black, Silver, cooked up right here in Joshua Tree. Speaking of red, blue, black, silver, look him up on the internet so that you can learn about the spooky soundtrack he composed for our friend Jeremy Corbell's new featured documentary film, Skinwalker Ranch, to be released shortly on Netflix. And you can pick up a CD version of the soundtrack, too. We've got links on the website, desertoracle.com radio. Here's something to put on your calendar, especially if you're planning to be in or around Phoenix, Arizona, mid-July. Friday night, July 13, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Why don't you come on down to the Valley Bar in downtown Phoenix for Desert Oracle Radio live on stage with musical guests, the Boxhead Ensemble. Lots of people excited to hear these guys performing live again. We're planning to have some good stuff. We'll have our friend Jason P. Woodbury to help out. Some graveyard tales from Jenny Russell. And, well, Brendan Mays texted me and he said he's going to carpool with me out to Phoenix, whether I like it or not. Let me look at the phone here. Uh, He says... If you want to walk the walk instead of talk the talk, the environmentally responsible thing for you to do is carpool with me from Joshua Tree. I'll chip in for gas. I guess that means I'm driving. Our friends at Aquarium Drunkard are presenting this show along with the Valley Bar. July 13, eight bucks at the door. You're going to have a good time. It's a great venue. And we are just about to wrap up our first season, our first year-long season of Desert Oracle Radio. So make sure to tune in next week for the last of this season, which means we will shortly begin the next one forever and ever, etc., or so we hope. And finally, we are saddened to hear about Anthony Bourdain, who was, along with a hundred other things, a good friend to Joshua Tree, and good night from the Voice of the Desert.